It's uh, great to be back here this Sunday, having been out last Sunday. Uh, a few people asked me, what, did I enjoy my holiday in Madrid? Um, thank you for asking about that. I wish I'd had a holiday in Madrid, uh, but the international team meeting I was at was great, thank you. Um, uh, Madrid was... Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, the, uh, Madrid was cold, it was pouring with rain, and uh, uh, we basically stayed inside the building for three days flat, airport to building, building back to airport, pretty much, uh, apart from a quick walk in one of the parks in the middle of Madrid where we got soaked. Two weeks ago, Sean led us into uh, this series looking at the book of Daniel, exploring the sovereignty of God, our lives in his hands. That's what we've called it, and I thought Sean did a magnificent job in starting us off. Um, I love the video link which uh, we watched, uh, the sort of summary of the book of Daniel. Uh, I believe that link's gone out, I think, in Dave's newsletter, Dave's update. Uh, if you haven't seen it or if you want to watch it again just as we're going through the book, it's one of those ones which will show occasionally on a Sunday morning as well. And then last week, Nathan's preach, I listened to that while I was driving somewhere this week, uh, great grabbing hold of chapter 2 and all that uh, takes place in chapter 2 in the book of Daniel, and Nebuchadnezzar's dream and how that's interpreted and uh, its relevance to us. You know, it's such a, a good book for us to be chewing on, I believe, uh, as we follow the story of Daniel and his three friends, these early exiles, uh, uh, Christian exiles from Jerusalem, dragged into a different culture, dragged into an alien world, really, in Babylon as captives, as people who are caught up in this whole uh, fall of Jerusalem. And uh, it's a great book because not only does it help us understand something about God's sovereignty and faithfulness, even despite desperate and difficult circumstances. But it also reveals something of what it is to live as believers in an alien or a hostile world around us. And, uh, and then it also shows something of what it is to have persevering faith. That is faith where we keep going despite the circumstances. And uncompromising faith. Faith, in other words, which doesn't say, oh, well, I'll bend now because this is what the world says around me. This is what the culture says around me. But it demonstrates something of a faith which says, no, if faith in God is real, then I've got to follow it through. And I'm going to keep going in my faith in God, regardless of my circumstances. And so this week we come to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to explore Daniel chapter 3. I've asked Jenny if she could come and read it to us. Jenny, if you could, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. I've got a microphone here for you if I can... Read the on off button. If you um, want to follow us, the book of Daniel, just to say, uh, is about three quarters of the way through the Old Testament part of your Bible. The way I find it is you do the long books and you get to Ezekiel, that's a nice long book, and then Daniel's the next one after that. It's easy to find Ezekiel because it's got lots of pages, and uh, Daniel's the next one after that, and it's chapter three. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, this is from the, from the English Standard Version. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 
Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the councillors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples and nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you should immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. 
And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning, fiery furnace, and he declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps, the prefects, the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So. Thank you so much, Jenny. That is fantastic. Thank you so much for reading that to us. Let's just thank Jenny. Wow, what a story! What a story. It's the sort of stuff Sunday school groups love, isn't it? You, know, you, 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 can, you can develop that so well. It's, it's so engaging. And yet, isn't it easy to think it's just a tale? It's just a tale. It didn't really happen that way. It's just a tale. It's, a, it's blown up out of all proportion. I mean, how on earth could that really happen? I wonder where you rest with this today. Can I assure you this is the Bible? And we can trust it. And it tells us something. It's not just a story. It's an account. It's an account of what happened. We need to understand that this is the amazing thing, amazing miracle of God taking place here we've just read about. Amazing how God has changed a king's heart, a king who's into self-worship, self-adulation, self-adoration. I believe the Father would want to just challenge us with this today. He'd want to provoke us and say, yeah, it did really happen. And just as it did really happen, it really does have a message for us today. So Father, we want to Ask, Lord, would you help us to hear you through your word today? Would you come, Spirit of God? Just as you have already been amongst us during our time of worship this morning, would you speak to us from your word? Would it take root in our lives? Would it shape us? Would it define us? Would it draw us closer to you? For the glory and honour of your name. Amen. As I read this passage, it provokes all sorts of questions in me. I, I want to pick up three questions that it provokes in me. In fact, uh, before I uh, ask each one of the questions, I'm just going to talk a little bit about the passage, then I'll come to a question. The first thing is this, Nebuchadnezzar, he was all about self-worship. 
He was all about self-adoration. He believed his own rhetoric of how good and how great he was. And he was a phenomenal king, a conquering king. So he creates this idol. Possibly, maybe, out of the gold taken from the temple in Jerusalem. We don't know that for sure. But certainly there was a lot of gold in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's suddenly creating a big idol using that very gold. And he creates this idol and he says, you need to worship this idol. Well, of course, in reality, what he's saying is you need to worship me because I'm the creator of this idol. Look at the great idol I've created. Therefore, in worshipping it, in bowing down to it, worship me. And the first question I want to ask today is a very simple one. It's who or what do we worship? You may say, oh, that's easy, Andrew. That's easy. I know, I know what I worship. I worship Jesus. He's my king. He's my Lord. I worship him. Great if you do. That's wonderful. Can I ask us, though, just to pull back a moment and ask this question. What is worship? What is worship? <laughs> Thank you. In the Old Testament, when Moses receives the commandments from God, the Ten Commandments from God, the first one is this, you're to have no other gods before God, nor bowing down to idols. If you want to read about it, you can read in Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 to 5. Basically, basically, God says, hey, don't have any idols. Don't have anything else you're going to worship. Nothing before God. Jesus in the New Testament, in Matthew 22, he says, hey, if you're going to love me, love me with everything you've got, with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your spirit, all that makes you up, all that's part of you. Are you going to worship me like that? See, it's very easy to think worship is about singing. It's very easy to think worship is about 20, 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. It's not. This is about whole of life worship. We're called to lay our whole lives down. To give our time, our energy, our focus. What we think about. Our conversation, our praise, our adoration. The heart of the matter is your heart. My heart. The heart of the matter is, what is my heart fixed on? What's my heart focused on? What's my life built around? Is it built around me? Self-worship in the world we live in today is absolutely massive. We're taught to, because you're worth it. The ad's on TV, because you're worth it. Because you're special. Worship yourself. Don't worry about anybody else. Worship yourself. Put yourself first. Sometimes we're told, you need to worship someone. Maybe it's a football player. Or a football team. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's a famous musician or a band. Maybe it's about possessions. Or family. What do we worship? 
What is our heart actually fixed on? See, it's very easy to say, I worship Jesus. Well, at least I do that when I sing songs for 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. But this isn't about singing songs of worship for 30, 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's only a small part of our lives. What happens with the other 23 hours and 20 minutes of a Sunday? What happens with the other 24 hours for the other six days of the week? What do you worship? Nebuchadnezzar was all about self-worship. He wanted people to acknowledge him as the great king. Jesus reveals himself as the great servant king. Not the one who builds massive statues, edifices. No, he came and served. He was the servant king, the king who died for our sins. The son of God, co-equal with almighty God in heaven. Part of the trinity who comes as a son, comes as a man. The son of God, yet man. Who comes, uh, yeah, great day to be preaching this Advent. Getting ready for the coming of Jesus. Yeah? Don't know about you. I, I noticed yesterday everything changed. Suddenly the adverts are out. Felt like the, the, the Christmas series adverts are out on TV. The, everything's changed. It's December. Come on, folks. The king's coming. Are we going to worship the king of kings? The Lord of lords? So easy, isn't it, to get drawn and caught up into worshipping the event. Got to have the perfect Christmas dinner. Is it goose fat you're meant to be using this year, or is it something else you're meant to be using with your roast potatoes? What, what, what bird are you meant to have this year? Is it a, a three-part one, or is it a one-part oh, Goodness me! The gifts, the presents, the pressure. Making sure that Aunt Flo doesn't upset Uncle Bob. going to worship? Are we going to worship an event? Or are we going to worship the king? The great I am. The Lord of Lords. The king of kings. And of course, it's not just about a day. Yes, it's a really, really important birthday. The saviour of the world born. Yes, great. But let's remember, we're, we're not about the day. We're about the saviour. And ultimately, we're about the relationship which he has made available with the great I am, the Lord of all lords, the King of all kings, almighty God. Our ways open clear to him. Wow. That's significant. So the first question I've got is, who or what do we worship? You know, it's so easy to add other things on. You may say, yeah, I know, I love Jesus. I'm grateful to God. But I want to worship these other things as well. No, no. If we go back to the first command. Have no other gods before me. Jesus' instructions in Matthew 22. Love God with everything you've got. Not a bit of what you've got. Everything you've got. Well, you're not going to express that just in 20 or 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. That's a whole of life thing. Second, what's the whole of our lives? I 
are you doing with worship? Please, if you're feeling <laughs> I'm condemning you, please don't do that. But I do want to provoke us. My life, is my life given over to worship? What do you mean by is it given over to worship? Well, what's at the core of the decisions I make? Is it about God and his glory? The advance of his kingdom? Or is it about me? Is it about my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions? Or is it about that thing over there, what I've always wanted? The thing which I think will satisfy me, which actually when you've got it, you'll find won't. What are we going to worship? The second reflection I have as we come through this passage, as we read this passage, is we get this royal command issued. It's all about obedience, really. Nebuchadnezzar, he wants everybody to obey him. And we get this command issued. Is this edict issued that as the music starts, everybody's to bow down and worship. What about for you? Do you live a life where perhaps you've got influences and pressures on you to worship other things? Maybe it's your boss. Maybe it's your boss who says, lie to make more money. Or don't be up front. Push the bounds. Get that contract through. You can promise things. It doesn't matter if you don't fulfill them. Maybe it's more subtle. If you do X, I'll do Y. Or I'll reward you with why. Other times it can be our friends, people who influence our lives, who want to issue a command into our life, who want to influence our life, who want to determine how we're going to live our lives. Maybe you don't need to believe that about creation. Really? You believe that? Disdain. World saying, you can't believe that. You can't believe that about marriage, that it's only for men and women. Surely it's got to be anyone who wants to. Maybe it's about other beliefs, other things we would value, other things we uh, believe reflect something of the grace and goodness of God, the truth of God revealed in the Bible. Pressure to fit in, become a part of the world around us, it, it's massive. For the three friends, that's exactly what's going on. Conform. Conform. That's the message Nebuchadnezzar is sending out. His officials are sending out. You've got to conform. Are you going to give way? Are you going to burn your, 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 your values? Are you going to lose the things which you treasure? Are you going to conform? Pressure, pressure, pressure to fit in, become part of the world around us. Even in the Christian world. Too easy to feel pressurized. I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to do the other. I'm not a good Christian if I don't do this. Really? Where do you find that in Scripture? 
Never ever come across the phrase, I'm not a good Christian in the Bible. Now, the Bible reveals a relationship with God. And actually, that we're out of a relationship with God. Yeah, sure, we want to please them. Of course, we want to please Him. Of course, we want to be a delight to Him. That's out of relationship. Friends, can we spot, this is the question, the second question, can we spot when we're being squeezed to adopt attitudes, values, things which aren't actually what we believe in? When we're being tempted to uh, worship other gods, sometimes it's so, so subtle. As the world around us says, well, that's normal. We need to watch out. How do we discern what is normal and what is right? How can we tell? Well, we can tell because we're in the Word. The Word is there to equip us and shape us. Because we're in relationship with God. We allow His Spirit to highlight things which are wrong. To draw us to righteousness. He's a spirit of truth and righteousness. He brings truth alive in our spirits. He guides us into paths of righteousness. That is living rightly. How good that is. Are we going to spot, therefore? Are we going to be aware? Are we going to say, God, help me to discern what's going on here, to know what the, what the end game is here? Is this really something I should be involved with? God, help me to see if it's not, to make righteous decisions, right decisions before God, to put God first. The third area I just see here is choices. The three friends, they had a choice. They could give in. They say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter. We'll bow down and worship it. We know what in our hearts we really worship. It'd be so easy to do that, wouldn't it? Just to compromise a bit. Well, it's important we're here to shape culture, so we'll just compromise on this. I love verse 17, verse 17 and 18 in this passage. I'm just going to read it again to you because it just says everything. They say this, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, this is the three friends, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Isn't that a great statement? Isn't that wonderful? They're basically blowing a raspberry at King Nebuchadnezzar in the most lovely, friendly way, in the most honouring way. They call him O king. They recognise he's a king. They say, you've got to be joking. We're not going to worship a stupid idol made of gold. Why on earth would we want to do that? Well, we've got a little relationship with the living God who we serve and who's able to look after us and we can trust him so much that even if he doesn't save us from a silly fire, no matter how hot you make it, he's still on the throne. He's still the king of all kings. He's still the lord of all lords. He's still worthy of all of our worship. 
I mean, in one sense, it's laughable, isn't it? Here we are, one of the most powerful rulers of their day. And these three young men are basically blowing a raspberry at him, saying, you've got to be joking, I'm not going to follow you. It's great. I, get, I, I just think it's, wow. Not because they've got a rebellious spirit at all, they're honouring him. But they know that there's one they've got to honour more. There's one which they worship more. There's one who's in control of their entire lives. There's one they can trust totally and completely and they can be confident in. What's amazing is, as they make that decision, that one comes and meets with them in the place of what should have been their destruction. One, like the Son of Man, walks with them in the furnace. The only thing which gets burnt up in the furnace is the bounds. The things which bind Shadrach, Meshach and Bedgo's arms. Maybe their legs as well. The ties. Those are gone. Because he brings freedom. That's the only thing. The clothes don't even get burnt. In fact, when they come out, they don't even smell of the smoke of the fire. Ow. How's that work? That's radical worship. That's uncompromising worship. Why? Well, they knew that anything else was wrong. They knew that worshipping the king was wrong. They knew that bowing down before his idols were wrong. They knew that God was totally trustworthy. Totally trustworthy. And that if that resulted in their death, that was okay because he was worthy of all their worship, the worship of their entirety of their lives. If they ended up giving their life, that was part of their worship. They'd already given their lives over to him anyway. He was in control. True worship is absolute in its direction, in its focus. Says whatever the cost, whatever the cost, even if it's my life, I'm happy to lay that down. True worship says, hey, God, you're worth everything. All that I am, all that I've got. As Jesus said, your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit. Love the Lord your God in that way. That's true worship. It's not just something which happens for 40 minutes on a Sunday. It's not just something that happens even every day in our, in our so-called quiet times when we spend time with God. No, it's, it's our whole lives. It's our whole lives. It's going to affect every aspect of our lives, how we live, how we work, how we see things. It's saying, God, you're in control. God, you are in control and I trust you completely and totally and I'll trust you right to the end of my life with this. That's worship. Totally confident in God, who he is, what he can do. So the question I've got from this third bit is this, really. Worship comes out of relationship. How do I see my God? How do you see your God? What's your relationship like with him today? See, 
It's very easy to think, well, I've got a relationship with God. But actually, I keep him in my pocket. I've got control over my relationship with God. He's, yeah, he saved me, but actually he's not really almighty God. He's, he's this God I keep for special occasions, special emergencies. He's the one I pray to when I've got trouble. And yeah, I'll sing the odd song to him because I've got to keep him happy. I don't believe that's the type of relationship God wants with us. That's putting us back in control. That's not worship. Worship is surrender. Worship is saying, hey, God, you're everything. You're everything. We unbox God. We let him loose. We let him be the Lord of all lords, the king of all kings in our lives. We surrender everything. Friends, following Jesus costs everything. Let's remind ourselves of that. I think sometimes we perhaps made that decision many, many years ago and said, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And yes, I know it will cost me everything. I'll lay everything down. But it's amazingly easy how then the world crowds back in and says, yeah, but you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about this. Oh, it's okay. You can engage with that. And suddenly, that expanse which we've given of the whole lives to God gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And of course, as we compromise on one thing, it allows the next to follow on. Just like the, the wedge. You, know, you only need a very thin end of a wedge. And you can split the toughest of logs. You can open the most difficult of circumstances as long as you can get the thin end of the wedge in, just keep on tapping. Little taps. You don't notice the taps because they're so small. But gradually the wedge hits home and splits things open. And brings destruction. I believe God today would just want to invite us, to remind us actually he is able to do far more than we can ever ask or imagine. He is almighty God. He's revealed as almighty God in this passage. We see his power, his authority. We see that he's able to do the miraculous, but we also see that real worship is surrender. Real worship is saying, hey, Lord, whatever you want to do, it's okay with me. I'm just laying down my life before you. Real worship is whole of life. It's not just a little bit. It's not just saying, well, you can have this few minutes here and those few minutes there and you can have this attitude here, God. It's everything. That's true worship. Uncompromising worship. That's really what this passage is about. Uncompromising worship. Saying, God, I want you to be Lord of everything. If you really are Almighty God, surely that's the right response. Surely that's the response. Everything surrendered. Everything, friends. Make a whole. But that doesn't feel very comfortable, does it? You may be sitting here even now thinking, but that means I let go of that. I'm no longer in control of this. That means have I got to reorder my priorities? Well, that would be part of what true worship is. 
Daniel's three friends, they were into uncompromising whole-of-life worship in a world which wanted them to compromise and to give in. They knew that God was sovereign. They knew that he was totally trustworthy. And they surrendered themselves completely to him, his plans, his purposes. Friends, I want to encourage us. Let's do the same. Let's do the same. Let's surrender all. Whatever that looks like. For each one of us, it will feel different. It will look different. In reality, it will be different. Let's help one another to do just that. Hopes and dreams, ambitions things which are precious to us, we can trust God with them all. Earlier, I think it was Christine, if I remember correctly, talked about Job and the story of Job. And we sung that song based on the passage in Job. I said, Lord, you you give and you take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. I don't know whether you realise it, but actually that's effectively what we did during our time this morning. We said, hey God, we want you to have everything. I'd like to encourage us afresh this morning. If you know that actually there's things which need to be let go of, things which need to be put back into a right order, into a right place, things which need to be laid down so that God is lifted up in our lives. This is a great opportunity to do it. How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to close our eyes and I'm going to pray. If you want to join me in this prayer, we're just going to ask God, we're going to repent of those things which have got in the way. And we're going to ask him to help us to lay them down. Some of them will be tough and hard to lay down. We need God's help to do it. But ultimately, it is a decision. It's a choice. This is what surrender is. Father, we want to recognize you are the great I am. We want to recognize you are almighty God. And we want to recognize there's only one way to come to you and to enjoy a relationship with you. And that's through Jesus. Jesus who died for our sins completely and totally that everything can be dealt with. Father, we want to acknowledge that we've allowed things to get in the way of our relationship with you. And you may just want to just Tell him what those things are. Things which have become a higher priority than him. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a someone. Maybe it's a situation. I want to say sorry, Lord. We want to repent of those things. We want to turn away from them. 
and lay them at your feet and say, God, they're not as important as you. Please forgive us where we've worshipped other things, wrong gods, wrong idols in our lives. We surrender ourselves to you afresh. We thank you there's grace. Your grace and love abounds. And you promised to forgive us, which is just incredible in Christ Jesus. Say, restore that relationship with you where it's got messed up around the edges. Or maybe where it's never existed before. We want a relationship with you. We want to live lives of worship to you. Lives surrendered to you. Lives given over to you. Help us to do that, Lord. We know we can't do it by ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit. So would you come and fill us with your Holy Spirit? We would live lives given over to you. For the glory and honor of your name. Lives of worship and adoration uncompromising worship of you help us we ask Lord God we know we can't do it by ourselves but we willingly and gladly surrender ourselves to you so your kingdom come your will be done in each of our lives in us as a church for the glory and honour of your name we want our lives to count as worship to you. <coughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Christine, do we have a song? Could we have the band back, please? That would be lovely. We are going to come into a song just to express that love and uh, devotion back to Almighty God, because Sung worship is a really important part of this. Please don't hear that that's not the case. It captures, it's a way of expressing something of what's going on in our lives. So I'd like to invite you to stand. Christine and the band are going to lead us into a song. That would be wonderful. Thank you. We're going to sing, I will offer up my life.
of my every breath. For you've paid the great cost. 